Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's October the 19th of 2022. The 19th, the scariest of all the teen numbers that isn't 13. Because, I don't know, there's something scary about that nine. It always looks nefarious in my eyes. I, you know, as a child who always had an affinity towards the number eight, nine sucked. Nine could eat shit. Eight was the most powerful yeah. until nine had to show up and fucking ruin things. That's right. Single digit That's fucking a... bitch. These are the uh, these are the things we need to be upset about. Certainly. Oh, can, only... you, can you imagine how awesome the world would be if this was the big issue? People just being like, I don't like nine. It's too evil. That's right. We got to we should go into ironically base nine. So then it's zero through eight. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. Uh, every so often, I had to, like, look up on my phone because I took a picture of it when I did uh, I did some math class. I can't remember the name of it, but, like, Fundamentals of Mathematics. Uh, yeah, because sure. Because I, I, was, I was dumb and uh, <laughs> didn't do great at math, and I had to do another math course for college. So, like, there's this one that teaches you, like, logic um, puzzles, essentially, and things like that. And one of the things we had to learn was, like, base system so they're like all right we're gonna teach you guys babylonian and mayan math and mm -hmm. you're like fuck man i there's I, I the concept very glad i i learned it like knowing what another like a, a thing that's not a base 10 system or whatever is um but the the idea of just like sitting there with like like staring at a, a piece of paper that's like Babylonian math is happening on this paper and being like, yeah. there's never going to be a day in my life that I am ever going to be using this. Like, I, I, it really does. It, it almost feels like that Simpsons joke of just like stuck in a tiger cages and for some reason they numbered them all with Babylonian math. And I'm just like, when was I ever going to need this? <laughs> uh... God, yeah, I I was in this advanced math program when I was in sixth grade, and the stuff that we learned in sixth grade, legitimately, I I did not use any of it past that sixth grade class. Not in the rest of school, not in the rest of middle school, past just that class that I took. It was like taking like you know a very specific college course for some weird elective or something. I was like, no, this is just all the stuff that I learned in sixth grade math <laughs> so time well spent i guess uh i did learn how to use several computer programs that i again never used again outside of that class so i would like to retroactively go back i said i, I studied babylonian math uh this is Bubastro, so i actually studied bubalonian math so i just wanted to get that out there uh bubalonian and this has not been thunder by the clap, way yeah thunderclap thunderclap I need to remind everyone that it is October. It is a Halloween month, so therefore the conversation I've been having about uh, our scholastic pasts with Quinn has not actually been with Quinn. It's been with the Spookmaster General. So there we go. Do you I, think we're going to reach a point where we can like franchise the Spookmaster General? Like I want to be. No. I, I want. Okay. Uh, but what if? <laughs> I love that nobody likes the Spookmaster. Anytime the Spookmaster General appears, other people are like, I fucking hate the Spookmaster General. I'm not saying we'll ever get to the point where we won't be successful enough to do it, but we won't do it. I just feel like, you know, like Elvira's retired, I think, at this point, right? Like, shouldn't, isn't there a Basically. spot for the Spookmaster General to, like, slide in there? 
<laughs> just host cheesy yeah programming blocks that don't really need to exist because they just I don't know, have like streaming services for everything exactly now. like it's got to be so expensive to use a puppet for the crypt keeper just bring the spook master general in and you're you're saving so much money the crypt keeper by the way not much mm. better than the spook master general the quality of the the crypt keepers puns was exactly on the same level so i just want that to be known it is a proven formula that i have improved upon didn't steal this is original i i do think that that's one of those things that people look back on and were like why did we like this yeah because <laughs> it was like it's 9 p.m. on a Saturday night, and you were like, ooh, right. something adult I can watch. And just adult meant, like, maybe there'll be blood and a titty. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a lone nipple shot. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> the scariest thing of all is that parents might complain about oh. it. Was it HBO? Because I feel like you had to pay for it, yes, too. You're I like, think. I had to pay for this. Pretty much. I think that was... In general, like if you can anything in the '90s that had like nipple shots and it, it was like okay, this is on HBO. They, they didn't just throw it on like CBS, <laughs> like th- 3 p.m. Yeah, like... right between right between reboot and uh, <laughs> and the new adventures of uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost was <laughs> just, they... just a boob, just a, a full frontal <laughs> shot of a boob, <laughs> and then a weird puppet skeleton guy going <laughs> did you like what you saw not a sex thing by the way just trying to be weird and avant-garde <laughs> guys uh we do have manga to talk about a lot unfortunately uh, quite a bit of manga so i guess we should get into it uh we should take off we should start our bucket list of manga that we have to talk about today it's not really a bucket list but it's the closest thing i could do to a transition to talking about zom 100 bucket list of the dead this is a series that's been running since uh almost ex- actually fuck it's been running for exactly four years today <laughs> i just looked at the data that was going to be about four years and it was in fact exactly four years i hope the discord is not going crazy because it looks like it has been frozen on me can you hear me quinn yep i can hear you good okay that's all that matters I don't, it doesn't matter that my camera's frozen okay so uh this has been running for exactly four years in a magazine called sunday gx comics monthly sunday gene x which is one that i Every time I hear it, I'm like, what is that? And then I look at it, and I was like, oh, it's the magazine The Black Lagoon runs in. Okay. Kind of Sanin Magazine. Yeah, it does. Uh, Sanin Magazine. Uh, this is by the same author as Alice in Borderland, although it has a different illustrator. Uh, and it is about a zombie apocalypse. It's a zombie series uh, with a... Not really a twist so much as a fresh perspective of what if everything going to shit was actually a good thing because the capitalist society that we all live in is kind of soul crushing and turns us all into zombies anyway uh which i know is like kind of hard baked into a lot of zombie apocalypse movies anyway but it's instead like yeah but what if all this that was good that like people were wandering around eating each other and stuff uh it uh, follows this uh, main character named Akira, who is a wage slave. He works uh, for 
relatively decent pay and benefits, but has to just constantly pull all-nighters at this soul-crushing office job uh, to the point that, like, when he gets up in the morning, he's dreading going to work. Uh, he's just got no motivation to do anything because this job has made already a zombie of him. And then the end of the world comes about because people are turning into zombies and eating each other. And Akira's main reaction is, I don't have to go to work anymore. Yes. Uh, and he quickly realizes that being at this job uh, has not given him any satisfaction in his life. Uh, and he has all these things that he still wants to do before he dies. And so he starts making a bucket list, a list of what will eventually presumably be 100 things he wants to do before he gets turned into a zombie. Probably inevitably. Uh, it hasn't happened yet in, in, as far as the manga has gone, but uh, that seems to kind of be like the thing that everyone's expecting will eventually happen. It's like, we're going to die eventually by getting turned into zombies. And uh, Akira gathers, uh, get, gets together with an old friend of his uh, called Kensho, and uh, they meet a couple of people along the way, and they go on this country-spanning road trip trying to just do stuff that they never got to do with the rest of their lives and maybe eventually trying to find a way to save the world. Uh, so I will say that this, uh, as you said, is a, a zombie series with sort of a different feel to it in that I, I don't want to call it an optimistic zombie series because it does still deal with like the the challenges of being in a zombie apocalypse that like oh hey people are dying and all sorts of factors along that like life is is finite and we're surrounded by uh monsters that will probably inevitably get this but our main character doesn't sweat that at all it's like never it's never really a challenge that the zombies exist for him other than to be like eventually like eh, i've kind of done everything i want to do here let's go to the next place um, and it's kind of refreshing to get a zombie story that doesn't feel like it's, it's beating you down. I know that's part of the genre, uh, and sort of just the existence of a lot of sort of zombie media in general is just like the unwinnable kind of situation. But as you said, like the main terror is like, oh, I could just be stuck in this capitalist hellhole and like working the rest of my life and achieving nothing. Whereas now it's like zombies have taken over. Finally, I can do everything I've always dreamed of, you know, and it's 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 a very refreshing sort of note for a series to run on. Um, I will say I have not read all the volumes. I thought we were going to be discussing this uh, next week. Because I had a conversation in my head that I thought happened in real life. You did not tell me no. that. I'm sorry. No, you're all good. So I, I, I've read a good portion of this series because I've been reading it on my own. Um, but I, I have actually enjoyed this series a lot because it's, it is actually kind of it very well written. I think as a series, it, it, it sets up a lot of its, its ideas early on and gives you like teases for stuff going on, like the end of the first volume is Akira creating his bucket list and you get to see it and you're like, these are things I will get to see paid off at some point in time, you know, and that's how the series continues. I should also note this is not a long series as of right now. Uh, seven volumes, I believe, of released officially. Yes, uh, seven volumes are available through Viz. Uh, I, I have to say the Viz uh, 
licensed version of the series is really neat because uh, you get to see the actual bucket list, which is handwritten a whole bunch of times. And over the course of the series, as, uh, you know, Akira gets more and more involved in it, and as he gets closer with his traveling companions, they also start writing what they want to do down in the bucket list. And you can see, like, you keep on getting all these little looks at it. It's a recurring thing where, like, they'll do a thing. And it might just be, like, you know, in the form of, like, uh, a, a casual chapter where, like, you know, there's a Hot Springs episode. And, you know, one of them wanted to go and, and spend some time at the Hot Springs. And so you get to see that item getting crossed out in the bucket list. Like, hey, we did this yeah. thing. Uh, and sometimes that's reserved for, like, oh, you know, a, a bigger story concluded with a big, satisfying uh the day is saved kind of thing and we got to do this big thing that we wanted to do scratch that item out yay um but when that happens you also get to see that there's like different uh penships there's different handwriting for the different characters and so to see that laid out uh honestly quite frequently uh is is really nice uh mark of quality uh for the uh licensed version and unlike 100 deeds of eddie mcdowell this story presumably won't end before they actually get through all the 100 uh, and just leave you on a massive cliffhanger that he i guess he's a dog forever that's the, the others that's, i guess that's the reality i have to accept uh yeah this is i mean there's there's not an hour and a half of conversation to, to, to have to, about the series as we did when we discussed uh, Haruoso's uh, other series, uh, Alice in Borderland. Uh, but I do strongly recommend that people check this out, even as someone personally doesn't tend to like a lot of horror stuff. Uh, I really, really liked this. Uh, it's just got that nice uh, feeling of, hey, we're going to just go on this kind of adventure there's going to be some really weird uh, tonal shifts or, you know, seemingly situationally inappropriate behavior by our heroes who are, again, running around during a zombie apocalypse. And Akira will do stuff like, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a superhero, so I'm going to wear this bite-proof armor and go punch zombies and make superhero poses and stuff. Uh, and stuff like that. Uh, there is one where they all decide to run a septathlon, I think it's called, uh, which is like a 240 kilometer long run. Uh, and it is just the most ridiculous thing. Uh, they're just running like lunatics for hours and hours and hours until one of them hallucinates some stuff. Uh, and it's like, you gotta remember, it's like, there's fucking zombies out there constantly they can just be beset upon by zombies all the time and they're taking time to do stuff like well let's go and have some fun barbecue and stuff uh but it always feels like yeah you know what these guys are you know finally living the dream that they never really got to in the rest of their miserable lives so good for them yeah uh i will say that this is as I said, it's sort of an optimistic series, but it is not a series that shies away from the fact that these characters do have their various different traumas. Uh, and it takes a little bit to get into that. I would say you don't really get a ton of great, like, character until maybe, like, the third volume or so as we start to, like, delve into, like, hey, this character has a backstory you didn't know about. And, hey, this character is now confronted with something that's scarier to them than the zombie apocalypse and things like that. Um, but it is, I think, for the most part, very fun. 
Uh, there is a side character whose goal is to become a stand-up comedian, and he has exactly one joke. It is to get naked. So I yep. feel like he does not have a lot of uh, good potential to be a stand-up comedian in the long term. But hey, most people are dying. So I guess uh, a little <laughs> partial nudity is, is the best bit they got going right now. Maybe every other good comedian died. I mean, he's got to balance out all of the, uh, you know, male gazy shots that we get for like whenever any woman is on screen. But yeah, as far it's, it's, as it's, it is, it is not too far. We do remember how else important yeah. treated female characters. So keep yeah. that in mind, which I will say. This is actually a massive improvement on House of Portland <laughs> in that respect in a couple of different ways. Um, the female lead of the series, she's a guy who not it's it, it it is a very clear thing from the very beginning like she's akira's love interest through at least the majority of the series thus far um she's kind of like okay but what if usagi from alice in borderland were just kind of like better realized as in like you know she's get that kind of like survivalist character but there's more size to her personality and it's more than just like well she's there for the main character to end up with and stuff yeah. Uh, it's it's more of like you know there are this is a seinen series but there's a lot of there's a very like you know shonen adventurers group kind of thing going on with all four of them where you know each of them will go off and do their own thing whenever there's a catastrophic situ situation and each of them finds their own way to get out of it um and i really like her she uh joins the group as like she's this very pragmatic person who thinks that what Akira is doing is total nonsense because it's just going to his he's being reckless and not thinking things through and he's going to get himself killed but then uh circumstances kind of throw them together a few different times and she gradually comes to find that like oh well yeah but this guy is actually you know living a good life and getting satisfaction out of it and she starts to take a cue from him and loosen up a bit and also finds, you know, becomes a entertaining and amusing character as well. Still retaining that she's kind of the only person who actually thinks about things before they decide, I know what we'll do. We'll coat ourselves in like barbecue sauce and run through the zombie <laughs> horror because this is, this is a fun thing that we never got yeah. to do. Before. We never did it. We never just covered ourselves in barbecue and ran through a crowd. Um, uh, to give you guys a good idea, if you haven't read this series and you just want to, like a better idea of the tone, uh, there is uh, sort of like a running joke for the first couple chapters that Akira is like, I need to get shit. So he like slides down the fire escape essentially of his building and he keeps passing by his neighbors beneath him who are like, holy shit, we're in a zombie apocalypse. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And every time he just passes by, he's like, hey, you guys, I'm heading out to this convenience store. You guys need anything? And they're like, I guess some toilet paper. He's like, all right, cool. See ya. And like it happens like a couple times and then eventually he passes by with some beer he just picked up and he's like, hey, you guys want some beer? And there's just bloody footprints and like shattered glass everywhere. And you're like, oh, and like that then motivates him to be like, you know, I actually should go find my best friend and all this. And I, I feel like that really does capture the tone of the series. It's like it's a very silly series. There's, there's jokes about how this is a zombie apocalypse and this kid just doesn't care. But then they do deal with like the weight of like people are dying here and it's uh pretty crazy you know the end of the world stuff is like it's less there's horrible zombies that are going to rip us apart and more like okay your time is actually running out now <sighs> it is it is very much like the bucket list of the uh, of the dead uh subtitle is 
very much like what the series is about. Like if you were going to die in, you know, a week, if you're going to die in a month or whatever, what would you spend your last days trying to accomplish before you ran out of time? And uh, that sense of like, okay, we're going to go for this and, you know, live the rest of our lives to the fullest is very much part of it. But we do have those cases where uh, something bad is at least in danger of happening to emphasize the stress uh, that they are under and the stress of lack of time that they have left. So we have to keep on crossing those items off the list because otherwise it's time wasted. Um, and uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend at least checking this series out. Uh, if you enjoyed Alice in Borderland, I would at least give this a shot. Although I have to warn you, it is very tonally different. Uh, somewhat similar premises. They never play any murder games. Uh, you know, somewhat there's tiny you know uh similarities in terms of like premise and like cast of characters kind of thing but uh whereas alice of borderland was hammering you over the head of like everyone's going to die <laughs> this one's like well yeah everyone's gonna die but let's see what kind of shenanigans everyone gets up to and what and what good times they can have first um so yeah i did check it out that's all i can say about it. i really like this series yeah absolutely good stuff but Quinn, <gasps> how can we have a bucket list of the undead if we don't have a bucket list of the unluck? Oh, look at that. Nick. An unluck it list, if you will. Wow. All of these. So good. You should have the hat. You can't take it from me. I'll kill you. No. Pry <laughs> <laughs> it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I don't want to have that sphere possessing me. It's okay. Yeah. It does weird things to you. I don't remember a lot of, I don't remember my childhood anymore. Every time, every time <laughs> the Spookmaster General leaves me. It takes more bad birthday memories away. So I guess actually that's a good thing. It just takes my trauma. It's like, you'll be better off without this. You got bullied a lot in elementary school. Let me take some of those memories with me. Uh, the human brain latches onto trauma as a defense mechanism, but in our but in our world, we don't really need a lot of the stuff that comes up. Yeah, Spookmaster General is good like that. Let's talk about Undead Lock number 131. Thank you. So last chapter, Juez had You're welcome. <laughs> uh, had held had held off as long as uh, she possibly could, uh, but passed away using the sword. So uh, we open with Luna being so like uh, like so extravagant about it, like superb. A single person's hatred was never enough to hold back Sun for five whole minutes. But then it's like kind of green and bad, like, but rebellions cost your life force. The most powerful source of hate in this loop has run dry. Three more minutes left. How will you uh, endure it, negators? And Fuku just says, uh, Miss Luna, is that how things appear to you? If so, then you don't know people. No, you don't know negators. And we cut to um, Victor and he's... (laughs) I don't know how to describe it other than like anime evil face. He's just got like the shadow going on, his heck hairs flowing and everything. And he just says to Rebellion, he's like, possess me. And they're like, when you, what do you mean? He's like, if I fucking stutter, possess me right now. And we see Sun is shooting off more of those explosions. 
And then we cut over. Victor has been possessed by rebellion. His entire body is his weapon. We see all the eyes and the hands, or the eyes and the mouths and the hands are all just covering his body right now. And he launches this big attack. And Luna's just like, what? Undead has never been able to draw that much power from rebellion before. Uh, only enough to wipe out the drawbacks from music. And Fuko's just crying. And she's like, you could do it, everybody. You can do it. And we, we cut big two-page spread of... Victor shooting like a blood geyser at Sun. Clock's counting down, about two minutes left. And he's like, yes, I finally understand what it is that you gave me. Up till now, I have never lost anything. For 455.4 billion years, you've been right there, alive and by my side, so it never clicked. One by one by one, they all grew stronger so that they would never lose this warmth. And then, you that know, last that last point four billion years was the one that made the difference. Yeah, I mean, it is funny to say that, but it is four hundred million years when you're like, huh? That <laughs> is like an astronomically incomprehensible amount of time. Uh, and yes. as he, he said that, we 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 close to Gina uh, and Rip and uh, Latla and uh, Nico, who have all died already in this journey, and we get like a collage of just the other characters who are in bad spots. Uh, Creed and uh, Miko, I think is her name, who are inside the cannon. He's just kind of like, this looks like the end of the road. It's like, it's exploding like a Star Trek spaceship right now. Like, there's just like... Yeah, all the consoles <laughs> yeah. going up. Uh, we see Phil on the ground. That might be just what he normally does. No one really knows. Uh, but characters are looking pretty bad. And he's just like, yeah, you know, for me, for us, what gave us strength, what pushed us to live, what shaped us and held us together has always been this feeling that we can gain from those we held dear. And I learned that far too late. And there's just this big stomp. We don't see exactly what happens, but it doesn't look great for our heroes. We cut over to Tatiana, who's not looking great either. She's like, you're not getting through. Uh, Billy turns to look at her and Ruin uses that to catch him in a blind spot and stabs him in the eye. So he's like, there you go. No more on move for you. Now, God, now you can crush the Ark. Now that Sun, Sun can move again. And then, wham, the giant spear comes in, and Mui and uh, Shen, I think is his name. It's been a while since I've had to remember this character's name. They're yeah, there, true. and they're pushing at him with this, the, the unbreakable pole, and they're like, it's not enough power. And then who should show up? But it's Fang, and he's like, harder, my disciples, do it! Unbreakable won't hold! Show them what we are made of! And they, they you know, speak in Chinese, like, understood, and, you know, clock's counting down from one minute now we just see collages of different scenes we see unbreakables uh barrier of uh, to the the final chamber is shattering we see a shin and top are kind of laying defeated at seal's hands we see chikara just like crawling to the hole basically saying like fuko and then it's just a collage of characters saying fuko's name over and over and over we're down to 10 seconds five four three two and then we cut over to fuko who just screams thank you and it's a collage of sun trying to go and reach and then basically every character who is still physically alive at this point leaping in front to block it as the timer finally hits zero and says now it's time to go yeah this was an incredible chapter uh just the sheer scale everything that's happening the desperation of everyone involved as they literally cannot beat sun they're just trying to hold out for just enough time for fuko to get away 
uh, that shot of everyone just all dragging themselves to be in between Fuko and Sun, however they can, how about however they can. Uh, people who seem like they should have powers that would prevent them from even getting hurt are all beat the fuck up uh, and on the verge of death. Uh, and it's just a really cool moment. Yeah. Um, this is this is the moment that I know that we were kind of dreading uh, for a, quite a while. Like we knew it was going to happen. We knew for a fact it was going to happen. Everyone was going to die. Yes. We knew that this would happen. Uh, but you know, seeing it all happen uh, just in one go, uh, everyone bleeding and broken on the verge of death as their time is running out. Uh, but even so, with this note of hope that like they're holding out and they're going to get Fuko out of there so that they have another chance, it's great. It's. It's incredible how much, and like, this is a big two page spread at the end. It's one static image, but how much movement you can discern from this. You know, you have Fang and Shen and them bringing the spear down. You have uh, Victor firing this blood infusion. You have Chikara falling like straight down so he can use unmove. Like, there's just so many actions going on. It, it's wonderful. Like I, I've mentioned before, I'm a sucker for this kind of trope when it's just like we have to defend something for a certain amount of time. It's just like a very satisfying kind of conflict beyond just like one person has to beat another one up. Uh, and this was such a well-executed version. Uh, we didn't dwell too much on the fact that a couple characters almost certainly did die in that. It seems pretty clear that Creed and possibly Phil might have just been crushed by the sun uh, when, when we see sun uh, stomp. Uh, and... Oh, it's just super sassy. It's cool to see Fang show up again and then helping out. I don't know. I'm just I'm, yeah. I'm very excited to see like the next loop start because you're like, I want good things to happen to these characters now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting now that time is up and the loop is going to be restarting again. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what's going to be different now. Yeah. So good stuff. Uh all right, let's go over to Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 107, School By Tatsubuki Fujimoto. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, sure, yes, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yoru is facing off against... Uh, oh gosh, Yuko. Yuko is her name. Uh, who is in her devil form now, has long tendrils and stuff to attack her. Uh, and Yoru's doing her best, but she doesn't have great weapons to fight with because, you know, she hasn't been able to kill anyone who's close to her. Uh, so she's just fighting with like a regular katana at first. She's having to dodge around Yuko's tentacles and stuff. She jumps into... Uh, she She's thrown out a window by one of the tentacles and then gets tossed back through another one into a classroom. Uh, Yuko dashes through the hallway and one of the teachers hits an alarm, which causes a message to go out, which is a devil has appeared on campus. Everyone evacuate, which it makes sense. Yes. That they would just have that like as you would just yeah. a fire alarm. <laughs> um, there is a kind of funny moment though, where as the students are very calmly like filing out into the hallway to evacuate, one of them's like, oh, "Is this a drill?" And Yuko comes by and she says, "This is not a drill." <laughs> I there was such a weird feeling I had from this moment where I was just like, I was like, "This relates to me as a child who grew up in like the '90s." 
But I was like, I feel like kids today would not assume this is a drill, unfortunately. No, I was no. like, I feel like this is a joke that you could only tell to a certain generation. Everyone else is like, why would I not take this seriously? This is all real reality. It's good to... Uh, Yuko starts trying to interrogate the students as they run away from her, saying, who put raw chicken in a shoe cubby the other day? <laughs> it's like all these things that, you know, you would naturally answer a devil's question if that happened. Uh, some of the girls that I believe are in uh, Asa's class and probably did bully her look over their shoulders as they're running away. And Yuko says, "I knew it was you." <laughs> Just like, well, she oh, she can also good. read their minds. So she, she can, yeah. she can. Uh, but it's okay because we've got the new great signature technique of Shonen Jump's newest hero, pencil spear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, as Asa throws this trident that is made from a pencil uh, at Yuko, but Yuko's like, I can I can read your every move. That's not going to work on me. And she just catches it in midair. Uh, and Yoru bemoans the fact that she can only make weak weapons with the items that she's using as her trident gets thrown back through the air through her back. Ow. Uh, no, it's thrown into another person, another student, I believe. Oh, that would explain it. That's why she's not limping around later. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I believe could, I might be mistaken on that. Uh, yeah, I think that that's one of the girls that I, yeah, that's one of the girls that uh, you guys yeah. pointed out because she then goes after another one, slams her head into the wall, seemingly kills her. But <laughs> the Devil Hunters Club intervenes. <laughs> it it really, for a quick moment, feels like a heroic scene. It really does. One of them's like, you know, they're all running past him and he just stands stuck still in the corridor, hinged up, looking badass. He's got his freaking brass, spiked brass knuckles on and he dodges one of uh, one of Yuko's attacks and starts attacking. Uh, another one backs him up with a crossbow. Uh, this girl comes in to help out with a sword and they start pushing Yuko back. And oh my god, they're they're doing it. They're chopping limbs off and stuff. And then Yoru just says, Hey man, you don't want to die before a chainsaw man even gets here. And Yuka's like, Look, I just didn't want to kill innocents, that's all. I was just holding back. But they just ganged up on me and bullied me, so they're bad guys too. And she kills all of them immediately. It's, it was weird looking at it, because like one dude gets like hurt really badly in the face is like blood shoot out one guy gets straight up like impaled you're like oh that guy really you know got hurt and then like the one girl gets like whacked and i was like oh man it must have been lucky to her and as if on cue it cuts to show she got knocked out a window <laughs> fell and like broke her neck <laughs> like you were like oh, okay never mind everyone got theirs equally i guess uh each of them does seem to have a chance of surviving this, but it's Chainsaw Man, so we'll see. I was going to say, the uh, one guy loses his eye, but that he could, yeah. he could survive. And he'd be so cool he with would. an eye patch and a knuckle. He would, so he cool. would. Uh, so Yuko turns it to Yoru after, you know, this last little shred of hope uh, disappears. And she says, look, unless you want to line up like them, just be good. Because, like, I know all your plans. I know you hid your personal property around the school so that you could use them as weapons. I know you pulled off some of the hallway floorboards to turn those into weapons. You set traps in the restrooms in the courtyard. I even know that right now you're thinking about trying to turn my severed legs into weapons, too. So don't try anything else. I'm going to save Asa from her bullies. And Yoru pauses for a second, and then she says, 
Well, I've got one more plan. And Yuko says, well, I don't see much point in that one, the leave it all to Asa plan. But Yuko closed her eyes. Yuko not right. Yoru uh, closed her eyes and her scars disappear and Asa's in control again. And Yuko's like, all right, Asa, just stay right there. Wait, what? What are you thinking? You can't do that. You absolutely can't do that. And that's where the chapter ends. Was just Yuko knowing what she's going to do, and it freaks her out, but we don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. Which is a nice way of leaving us off on a cliffhanger. Uh, we will get another chapter next week. Yeah, it should be interesting. It's yeah. just like, uh, not since uh, Yugi played a card face down and then switched over to Yami Yugi uh, in the duel against Pegasus has two minds both being in function been used so effectively as a dramatic beat in the story. Yep. I don't know why that was the reference that came to mind, but it was. You know, you ever think about, so that it would have probably just played out the exact same, like if Pegasus hadn't read minds, cause like he couldn't have stopped the strategy yeah. when Young has sprung it. So it was, yeah. whatever. Duelist Kingdom was weird. So. I, I mean, that entire duel, I've, I've commented on it many times where I'm like, it really would have been funnier if Pegasus had just had like a much different draw. And he's like, well, I was going to start with little fun monsters, but I didn't draw any. So I'm just going to send out the. All right. First, <laughs> first turn relinquish. Everyone's like, Fucking what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. My broken ass tune monsters were actually <laughs> the soft ones. Uh, okay. Kaiju number eight, chapter 72. Kikoru heads out. She is wearing weapon number six. Uh, she has this like freaking railgun thing to launch her through the air. For some reason, uh, and she launches through the air, uh, and then the pot around her splits apart, and she's doing her cool shonen pose while flying through the air, and then she also has a jetpack thing, it looks like. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how this works, but she, like, grows these beam, these, uh, wings of light while shooting forward, uh, and, um, yeah, they make a note that, like, oh, this is the only numbers weapon that's actually capable of flight, uh, which is why Hikari uh, had a higher kill, kaiju kill count than any previous captain, because she could, you know, get around really quickly. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, at the side of the battle, uh, there's an order to cease fire because Kikoro is coming in, and just as they say that, she just comes flying down through the air uh, with her axe and smashes uh, one of the kaiju into a pancake. I, I do love it. It's like, everybody, get out of here! And like, the Kaiju's like, Muh? and then like, the next shot is like, oh, fuck me! Why? My back! Uh, and everyone's like, oh my god, it's the late Director General Shinomiya's legacy, Kikoru Shinomiya! Which I feel a little bit weird about, because it's like, okay, they're People are going to stop talking about how she's her parents' kid eventually, but that's kind of just like all that happens when they're complimenting her all throughout this chapter. Is like, oh, the power of her father and the speed of her mother and stuff. Is like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Her own, her own person and stuff. Whatever. Um, there's a little bit of a ban banter over the radio between Kikoru and Narumi uh, as they refer to each other as my dumb disciple and my moronic master. It's cute because it's lurative. Uh, and, uh, this 
one guy who we may have met before is kind of the one that we get a lot of focus on, just one of the officers on the ground, as he's just kind of observing how fast and powerful Kikoru is with this numbers weapon. She's moving so quickly that when they try and provide supporting fire, they just can't keep up with her, and they're just more likely to get in her way. Uh, and we get this really big shot of, like, the, uh, one of the soldiers kind of having a kaiju bearing down on them at the same moment as Kikoru is cutting it apart from face down through through its back. Uh, so she is very powerful. Hooray. And uh, just as we cut over to headquarters to see that, oh yeah, that's going well, but okay, now there's the National Diet area that's also being contained, and that's, so what do we do from there? And uh, as there's some chatter on the line, Mina cuts in and says, I've got that covered. And we cut to a helicopter where Hoshina has been outfitted with weapons number 10, and which is now coming online. So we're going to see what he can do now. Yes. Um, I will say that I was a little disappointed by Kikoru, uh, uh, Kikoru's powers in this chapter. Uh, I, I, it seems as though now most of the weapons are just suits. Um, whereas before I felt like they were actual tangible items. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm big. I'm vaguely remember which ones are which. Um, Narumi's got the eye. So yeah, and then uh, Ishao, I think was his name, had like actual gauntlets and stuff like that. So in my mind, I thought they'd be more physical items, and I was like, oh, the freeze one is like the different one suit. But it seems like all of them are just suits at this point. Uh, and I think Kikoru's doesn't stand out here like very fast, very strong. I'm like, yeah, similar to Ichigo and Bleach. Yeah. It feels like there's much cooler <laughs> things visually that you you guys could do, but um. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think maybe the wings are a nicer touch and should always be present. Um, but yeah, I, otherwise, I think it's a, it's a cool chapter. There is definitely a bit of Kikoru is doing what she already did, but more. Yeah. Uh, so there is not a whole lot of distinction. And again, I don't really like the way the suit looks. It's a little bit too monochromatic. Um, but uh, maybe this was just kind of like a preview and maybe there are actual like elemental powers similar to the other ones that we've seen uh that we will get to see later but yeah. we will see yeah all right let's talk about spy family nick yes we we can we can do that or it's missions. should i say blah family <laughs> but, like a vampire with blah <laughs> I don't know how to comment on that one. I just, I, I just, you, I just let, to, you let it sink in and, and yeah, dwell I'm just in. I'm just going to let everyone, I'm just going to let everyone fester in it right now. <laughs> there uh, you go. Uh, okay. So we get a big like plot start thing in this chapter for mission 69. Uh, nice, as, nice, 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 yeah. nice, nice. As it turns out, there is a troubling report that is coming in for a director in the government, which is the remnants of the extremist Red Circus group, their leader, Billy Squire, who's been hiding outside the country. There are unconformed reports that the faction he commands is here in Berlin. And, oh, there is a guy wearing a ski cap and trying to look inconspicuous. I'll bet it's him. Meanwhile... The wheels on the bus go round and round because Anya's uh, class is out on a field trip. They are going to be heading to a museum 
which the different members of the class are in different levels of enthusiasm about. Uh, Damien is just like, ah, whatever, why do we have to travel in these peasant mobiles? And it's like, when you're so rich that being in a school bus, you're just like, this is the worst thing. When you're six, it's like, calm down, dude. Uh, the They are also sharing a bus with another class i forget which class it is but it's the same one that they had the volleyball match with because the very large glasses wearing student is there mm. uh so this is happening and said glasses wearing student says like hey you know there, there there's actually a lot of value to this because you know this is an opportunity for us to make friends with people from different classes uh and so anya realized that this is a chance for her to copy her papa's tricks and succeed at the friendship scheme See, there was a there was a reason for that whole jealous doctor storyline yeah. that we wasted our times with. Uh, My finite so the, fame in this earth, we you know it was fine. We got a little bit. It was so on. You could learn a lesson from it by reading Lloyd's mind about it. Yes, uh, <laughs> and this I don't want to say that the scenario that Anya imagines is unrealistic, but there seem to be various issues with it like if this were like you know a storyline that were turned in then you would have to be like okay but there's a few questions i have about this if you want to if you want to have the entire fulcrum of how this plays out be who is and is not guilty of being an uggo that's fine but i don't see how the logic flows from bit moment to moment uh so anya just uh you know imagines like they have a disagreement over Who's an uggo? Damien accuses her of being an uggo. And as it turns out, Anya's defense is, I'm not an uggo. I'm totes adorbs. It's, this entire sequence is legitimately very funny. <laughs> and so the teacher's like, oh, I see. You're the real uggo. <laughs> and we're going to expel you for being an uggo. And Anya has to, now comes to his defense saying, he's not an uggo. He's just a piece of crap. <laughs> And then they become best friends. Yeah, then he's he's indebted to her for saving him. <laughs> so how does Anya go about realizing this this imagined scenario of getting Damien to call her an uggo so that she can Uno reverse him? She crumbles up a piece of paper and throws it in his head and then makes a face at him. And in response, he just throws the paper back in her face. It's it's that he just takes it, just whips it at her. <laughs> And she's like, my plan! It failed! My, my wonderful plan! <laughs> um, but aw, Damien, uh, he's got that I-don't-know-how-feelings-towards-the-opposite-sex-work uh, awkwardness about him. He was going to share some sweets with her to repay her for helping him out earlier and not getting it to merit. Because uh, he brought some sweets, and his friends are like, oh, you brought snacks? Can we have <laughs> And he's just going to be like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also that creepy guy that everyone thought was going to move out and gave him gifts, but he ended up not moving, uh, is sitting right next to Damien, and he's like just holding his hand out so he can get some too. So, yep, he's still there. He's still everyone's least favorite student. Anya brought peanuts, and also peanuts. Good for her. <laughs> she brought salted peanuts and then cheese-flavored peanuts, which... Good for her. I, I feel like definitely exist. And at the same time, I can never say in my life that I have seen cheese flavored peanuts. 
Uh, like, I feel like you just you just take cheese powder and you cover them on peanuts. But in my life, I, I cannot tell you once I've seen that. Yeah, you like you. But part of your mind, like, sees the packaging and you're just like, what what poor cow had to be put through having peanuts, uh, you know, processed through their milk as it was as it was being turned into cheese in order to ruin those perfectly good peanuts and that perfectly good cheese. Yeah. Uh. Also, Anya found a bit of Bond's dog kibble in her bag, and she offers it to Damien because, I don't know. Uh, but at that moment, the bus takes an unexpected turn, which the teacher realizes, and he's trying to get the driver's attention. Uh, but uh, the, and uh, the bodyguards uh, that are following the caravan, because these are all VIP students from rich people's uh, rich people uh, homes. Uh, they're like, wait a minute, a couple of the vans broke away from the uh, buses broke away from the caravan. What's going on? But at that moment, oh, my gosh, it's it's Billy Squire. <laughs> oh, no, this and, this is like a real WWE is introducing a wrestler, but they like they're using a new name for him that no one's ever heard of. So it's like, who are you? I'm Billy Squire. And they didn't give him a good theme song. So it's just like, our new in-house music team sucks. He boards the bus, tases the teacher, and they have, you know, hijacked the bus. And the security escort comes after them. Billy takes a shotgun out and shoots out the tires so that they can get away. All of the students are freaked out. And so he addresses them all and says, you're the nation's elite, so you've probably figured out what's happening. We're the Red Circus, and we've hijacked your bus. Mm -hmm. If you want to live, you'll do exactly what we say. Anya's in a pickle again. Looks pretty bad. It, it's exciting. I definitely was like at the end, like, oh my gosh, like this is a terrifying situation for these children. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, bad me. Anya can read minds, but she is a six-year-old child. So it is legitimately yeah. also just a very funny chapter. This is yeah. very, very amusing. Uh all right, Nick. Let's talk about Eden Zero, chapter 212, Morbius. It's morbid time. Let's morbid up, Nick. <laughs> So I mean that that title is a bit too perfect for you not to do yeah, that. It's hundred so. percent. Uh, so <laughs> we open with Hermit as she's going through the the scan of Urza, Elsie, whatever her name is, not Urza. Don't let me interrupt you. No, don't let me interrupt okay. your, th your your flow. But just everyone know that if you're watching the video version of this, there's going to be a lot of me just gesticulating okay. in the background for this because this chapter is stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she's looking over all of the, the, the health record and it's like minor bruising, signs of hypothermia, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't care about her physical condition. I need the video recording. What was it Elsie said? And she's like pounding there's on There's got to be another video record than just what's in the medical logs. There's got to be another video record. <laughs> Uh, we cut over to Acnoelia and Justice, and they're on top of a dragon. Acnoelia is like, my children. I don't like this character design anymore. <laughs> yeah. My children, come to me. And she just disrobes and, like, has, like, a much worse design after it. Like, it's infinitely more generic and just, like, space robot. And it's just like, okay, so she's got that now. The, the the dragons fire a bunch of lasers at the dragon that justice was on and he jumps off and they just blow up that dragon 
And Homura's like, they're attacking a fellow dragon, and she gets attacked, so she has to dodge a whole bunch, and she uses her strongest technique, Odin Strike, and shoots out a bunch of swords, and it takes down one dragon, and she's like, even with my strongest technique, the best I can manage to defeat is one. I must go after the source. And Justice is hanging up there, too, and he punches Actuelia, but she blocks, and he's like, why are you bringing these dragons? And she's like, you haven't figured she's it out yet. She's the mother of dragons. <laughs> Why are you asking why she's breeding dragons? She's the mother of dragons. <laughs> she says you haven't figured it out yet, foolish boy, and does an action that is really hard to discern because she like her the fingers like glow and then like Justice has like three lights on him and then they explode. So I guess she shot bombs onto him or she shot him with lasers with like a delayed explosion. It's a little difficult. He goes. Yeah, I imagine that as that as the battle with Agnoella unfolds, we'll get a better understanding of her powers the more we see of her in action. Yeah, this is just a taste. This is just a little yeah. susan of what we're going to have in the future. Uh, and she's like, I produced them right here on Lendar. And I'm like, what? She's like, not all of them. Dragons have been coming into being and forming falls at the border between the cosmoses since time immoral. And okay. <laughs> they're not longer the only dragons. I have found a way to produce them. Yes. The Lendard Kingdom's greatest invention, the perpetual mechanical shoulder birthing machine, more commonly known as Morbius. It's Morbin time. And he's like, but development on that halted. She's like, yes, publicly, but the product <laughs> continued behind closed doors. And if Elsie, or Princess Elsie, or rather, Elsie had it started a little rebellion, it would be completed three years sooner at least. So Justice is like, you've been, you stole Mobius, and you've been creating dragons ever since. And she's like, stole, how dare you? I was the one who invented it. He's like, what? You're a Lendardian? Which is a great way of naming that people, the Lenarians. Uh, and she, he, she's like, that's enough discussion. And fires a gigantic laser. And it looks like Justice is about to die. But then Homura's like, no, oh, Justice, and grabs him. And uh, fucking uh, Justice is like, Homura, no, but you're my sworn mortal enemy since the last arc. Based off of what my best friend Jesse told me. <laughs> and his story's not over yet. <laughs> A <laughs> uh, big laser blast happened. I know he was telling the truth because there were no holes in his story whatsoever. <laughs> and he was always running around sweating profusely with a giant grimace on his face whenever he was, whenever the topic came up. Iron Story Jesse. That's what they used to tell, call him. Anytime he told a story, no holes, nothing to dispute. He should have been a lawyer. That's how good his stories were. Uh, Acnoella is just like I have no use for human children they're nothing but trouble I prefer machines they listen to your mother I am the mother of dragons I have forsaken my human form become god and Amora's like defeated or something she's just down she's like rather unconscious I think like her mech has I think her hatch opens up but the panel is so small that also like the entire mecha may have just crumbled around her you can't really see any of the scene in which he goes Foom. yeah there's like a laser that engulfs them and then they're down on the ground uh and she's busy going on about like yes my children i always be the mother let the festival of chaos begin and just like wait it's not possible and actor is like my name is <laughs> And then she gets cut in half. Elsie shows up, severs Actuella, 
from fucking cunt to forehead, just boosh, bisects her. And like immediately, Justice is like, Elsie, what are you doing? Stop! That's actually Queen Shia Leylandard! And Elsie's like, I know, and she uses Grand Chariot and she blows her up and fucking Act is dead, eat shit, you nerd! And then Act Noelle, or uh, Justice just staring at it in like horror, and as Elsie's like, I'll be morbid now. And that's how the chapter ends. I. So we've been kind of throwing around the idea for a while that maybe heroes trying to wrap up Eden Zero faster than planned. If that is the case, then this chapter is absolutely like the one where it all comes falling apart because there is like at least months of build that gets done in a single chapter. There are reveals that happen that aren't even set up there. You're just told that they're a reveal of something while in the same breath being told why the reveal has consequence. It would be like if in uh, like the opening of in like the first Star Wars movie, you know, the all the smoke comes out while Darth Vader comes in. And he starts talking about his son, Luke Skywalker, like, and he <laughs> you know, was like, oh, my God, <laughs> he's Luke Skywalker's father, the father of a character we haven't even met yet. Wow. What does that mean? There's all this stuff that we know a smidgen, a smidgen of this royal family that Elsie belongs to with no indication of why they were really important other than they're the ruling family of this planet that is important because it's where they're fighting right now. And we knew that they were uh, involved. They were, they were warmongering towards the end. Which, okay, so they were yeah. monarchs. <laughs> uh, th this form change that Actuella goes through just to get cut in half is crazy. Uh, like th this whole thing happens like it's a Frieza power up and then it, she's dead in the same chapter she reveals it which is amazing it's f fantastic and stupid and again to go back to the first clip that I made why did Hermit need to look up the medical records to get a video record of what Elsie was saying like did you not have security logs for this like come on it was it was like attached to it but like a couple of the the digital pages got stuck together and you're like ah, i can't get to it oh no it was all on blip how are you gonna access that video file anymore ah i don't know so i have an updated flv player oh my god is elsie the true villain anyway even if so who cares like uh nick have you been watching she hulk no i've been meaning to okay um there's 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 a joke in the final episode about like this can't possibly like, all the storylines start like clumsily coming together and it's like this can't possibly be how you guys want this story to go right like that that becomes like an, an like a, a meta criticism of everything and sure. this this series actively feels like the non-ironic version of that where you're like why is all of this happening here like i just I guess if you really dig this series, this has been like a crazy arc because you have just gotten twist after twist after twist after twist. I just don't know how you possibly keep up with it all. Like, 
I've forgotten the last time it turned out another character was super evil before it turns out they were killed like a chapter later. Like, I barely remember Cure was a thing. You know, like, I, I've forgotten that, like, the big twist of this was supposed to be uh, Z- Ziggy is Shiki from the future. Like, everything feels so wild in this chapter and in this, this like, arc right now that it's, like, hard to find, like, a level of patience with any of it. Like, I, I, it, it's just so many twists happening, um, and none of them feel super satisfying. Um, there's a lot of, like storylines that feel like they were getting built up that feel like they're getting abruptly kind of cut short like the idea that homo like i was like all right well jesse's dead but justice still carries that grudge against tamora and that's going to carry through but i feel like you took a lot of the tension out of that by having homora yeah. save his life so even if yeah, there is did. a conflict it feels like they should be able to easily talk it out now because he's like well yeah. you did save my life at the expense of potentially your own, like you're still hurt right now. So like, what was up with that? It just feels like a lot of this is so messy and, and just all over the place. Yeah. A lesson to be taken. Sometimes less is more and <laughs> yeah. restraint can be good. Uh, yeah. I blown away by the weird pace going on in here. It's not just that it's happening quickly. It is that things are not like actually being arranged in a line. They're just all landing in a pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about like, you know, how series like undead unlock can sometimes have a really rapid pace, but never in undead unlock have we been reading it. And I've thought this payoff did not have a prior setup like this. You know, it's always at least been this moment that is happening. Even if the setup was the prior chapter, it happened prior to this moment, and this was a freaking implosion of plot uh, progression. Just yeah. insane. Yeah, exactly. All right. Akane Banashi, story 34, background listening. Cool color page uh, at the start of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So Akane has finished up her first day as Azenza. Uh, and uh, she's looking pretty worn out. Uh, and uh, actually, it's not her. I guess it's probably not her first day, actually. But uh, she's been screwing up a lot more uh, since the last time we saw her when it seemed like she wasn't making mistakes. Uh, but uh, she's been trying to listen to stuff going on in the background, learn from other Rakugo uh but that's distracting her from her duties. She loses focus. And so she's getting a bit of a chewing out from Asagao uh, over it. Uh, he Asagao decrees that Karashi gets tomorrow's first performance. Uh, and uh, he also tells Unun, the uh, other Zenzo that we've met, uh, like, hey, you know, keep it up. And then Akai reacts to this with shock, like, wait, what? And Asagao says, oh, you wondering why I'm in charge? And Akai says, no. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I am. Uh, and Asagao says, yeah, I- I'm the person who gets to decide the, the opening act uh, each day. Uh, and if I feel that your work deserves a reward, then you t- get to go on stage as the opening act. And the performance program changes schedules every 10 days. So if I don't see any improvement in your work, you won't get to do Rakugo for 10 whole days. Uh, because he is the Tate Zenza in the meantime. So they go home. Uh, Akane and Karashi are walking together for a little bit of it. And Akane's like, this is messed up, right? And Karashi's like, I mean, it's working out for me so far. I got the opening act. (laughs) 
Um, but uh, Kai is like, well, how are you so good at this job when you've only been here for like a month longer than me? And Karashi says, like, I mean, all the stuff you're learning to do, you only have to do them once in order to learn them. Come on, this is not that difficult. The background listening part of this is what really took me a while to learn. You got to be able to keep your attention on the stage, even while you're working, even while you're having a conversation. Uh, and I kind of like, well, you can you can actually do that. And Karashi says, yeah, I mean, it's like listening to a lecture while you play games. Some Good. people can do that. Good. Some I mean, people cannot. <laughs> I can play a lecture while I'm or play video games while I'm watching a lecture. I won't remember what happens in the lecture, though. I don't have that ability. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, like uh, Karashi's like, yeah, this should be simple for you. Come on. Why do you even become a Rakugoka anyway? And Akane says, wait, why did you become a Rakugoka? And Karashi kind of is shocked that she's asking this and he looks at her for a second and then he says, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> oh my god, is this jerk going to have is is this jerk going to open up his heart? We shall see. Um, but uh, he kind of you know looks smug at her because he's going to actually be getting more firsthand experience, getting ready to be a pro, and he's kind of starting to leave her behind. And so Akane's like, All right, you know what? He's actually right. I gotta get serious about this and get used to this background listening stuff. Uh and uh so she, uh, you know, starts getting ready the next day. Uh, and but while Karashi is on stage, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm getting all the tea ready and stuff," but I'm focusing over there. But then she gets distracted because she's jealous because Karashi is performing, and Asagao chews her out. Um, and the days start to go by, like we just, you know, calendar pages start to kind of fly off as we keep on seeing Akane really struggling to try and keep up with her duties while she's also trying to listen on the uh, stage as well. Uh, and, uh, she's, you know, constantly getting kind of chewed out by Asagao. Uh, but then, uh, we get to a point where it's like the fifth day of her work and Asagao starts to issue an order to her. And Akane is like, yeah, I know. Flip the cushion, right? I'm doing it right now. Uh, and she's starting to anticipate people's needs before they actually have to issue instructions to her. She's kind of getting ahead of schedule. She's getting more and more used to it. Uh, and uh, Unun and Asagao kind of talk about this bit, saying like, hey, Akane seems to be really getting into this. But Asagao says, I mean, maybe she's just getting lucky. She's still spacing out, and I feel like she's just going to screw up again. But then Karashi comes over and says, hey, do you have a moment? And he, he kind of leads Asagao over to where Akane is getting chewed out by... Uh, Rien Konjakwan, who is the rookie crusher, who is scolding her for not using fresh tea leaves, even though Unun's like, but she did. I saw her do it earlier. But Asgau says, yeah, but this guy doesn't need a reason. He just likes tearing into the He's just kids. a fucking idiot. He's, He's just a fucking just loser. Asshole. He's just an asshole who gets off on lording his power over people. So Akane is just kind of like quietly hearing him out while he's like being really passive aggressive. Like, oh, yeah, I guess the fact that that you you're the amateur student champion means that I just get to get scraps while you decide what's best for everyone. Huh? Uh, and, you know, he keeps on doing this like, you know, I'm adjusting my hair because I'm such an asshole kind of thing. Uh, and until Asagao comes in 
and he bows deeply to Kojakwan and apologizes. And he says, look, I'm the Tate Zenza. It's my responsibility when she makes mistakes. Uh, and so Rien says, oh, you're the Tate Zenza. Yeah, it all adds up now. Yeah, no wonder all the Zenza here are worthless if this is who they have leading them. You're such a pathetic mess. If only you hadn't hit me for making fun of your master, you would have made Futatsume before I did. So he's always been a dick, even when he, <laughs> before he got the promotion. He's always kind of sucked. Yep. Uh, so he's like, yeah, well, I got all I wanted to see. So I guess I'll leave now. But now he's noticing that Sonia Kane started looking at him with this rebellious look in her eyes. And she says, yeah, remember your place. I'm a rank above you. He leaves. And Asuka's like, all right, you know, kid, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. He's actually doing this to you to get back at me. So don't take it personally. But Akane says, that's okay. I got a good chance to listen to a whole lot of the Masters Rakugo. What, you... You were ignoring him? No, 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 I was paying attention, but I was also listening to the Rakugo performance. While I, was I heard all of his shitty, stupid comments, but I did hear what was going on outside there. Yeah. And she says that she was she's, she doesn't really care that the guy insulted her. He was, she's angrier for us on Asagao's behalf. Uh, and uh, she's like, yeah, you'd have to be crazy not to be mad when the person tutoring you gets made fun of. And Oscar flashes back to when he got punished for punching out the guy. And he's like, look, I... I owe my master so much and he was making fun of you and that's why I got riled up. I couldn't stay silent. So Asagawa calls Akane an idiot and then he says, look, the only time Azenza gets to appear at a performance is in the opening slot and his performance tomorrow is after the opener. You don't like listening to his crap either, right? You think you can show him up? And uh, yeah, he puts Akane in the opening slot so that he'll she'll uh, make Rien look bad by comparison. So here we go. <laughs> I mean, it is it is like a, a very simplistic but easy way to get you excited for her next Rakugo performance. Like, yeah, I hope she finds a story that shits all over this loser. I hope she doesn't even change his name. I hope she's just like, let me tell you about <laughs> mastered fucking... Dick face. I can't remember his name, but honestly, he's not that important. But he's got a shitty haircut. <laughs> yeah, look at this fucking asshole. Let me tell you a story about him and his shitty teeth. Uh, yeah, yeah, really cool chapter. Um, super excited to see what Akane does. Yeah, good stuff. All right, but Quinn, we got to get to the real good stuff. Zalian's area. But Nick, don't you mean? The Hunter's Guild Red Boot! I forget when that one. I forget how long ago that series even was. It was last year, right? And... <laughs> uh, so... Yes, November 7, 2021. Right before, right after Halloween. Oh, okay. That's why you had to bring it up. Okay, I get you. Okay. Uh, oh man, Shiraku is sitting down with uh, with pyromaniac guy uh, while the fire is raging outside. Oh no, everyone's gonna die in ten minutes. Oh no, what are you doing, Shiraku? Running out of time. And Shiraku says his name is Yutaka Kashimura. I was going to tell you after gathering more details. And Tatsumi says, "Wait, Yutaka, the same Yukata." That might be a typo. That helps Akira escape A3. 
might have been not corrected to referring to the item of clothing. Uh, and Shrek is like, yeah, an alien killed his family and then A3 took him in. Orcs killed his family and then the anti-orc society came by and took him in. Uh, so Shrek is like, yeah, and we never caught the killer. And Yutaka says, it was probably easy for that guy to get away. I bet Foreign Affairs 5, with all its secrecy and bureaucracy, just let him go. And uh, Shrek is like, I mean, okay. Uh, and y- Yutaka says, the investigator said my memory is unreliable, and no one listened to me. Flashback. Eh, the first person to hear me out was Akina. She taught me many things about aliens and Foreign Affairs 5 and A3 and how survivors of alien incidents like me were working to get rid of aliens. Oh no, Akira was the one who brought him into A3 the whole time. And so, uh, you know, he decided to join because it let him get get, get his anger towards aliens out. Oh, and he became a racist. Uh, and A3 told me the truth. Aliens call Earth Aliens Area. That's the title of the series. Oh, that's and the, meta. And they look down on Earthlings. They keep coming here because humans are soft and dedicated to coexistence. In contrast to your negligence, A3 protects Earth from aliens. Aliens are bad, and A3 is good. And then I couldn't believe it. When Akina told me she was going to leave A3 with an alien, I should have tried to stop her, but I accepted and agreed to help her when I saw that my objections were only strengthening her resolve. But that wasn't what happened. And Akina told him it was a secret that this was happening, and he was happy that she trusted, so I kept her secret. And then five years later, I was approached by some other guy in A3 who got promoted. And then he was like, you're in charge of planned recruitment. We take in the kids whose families were killed by educate them about our policy of alien extermination. You're going to cooperate with aliens to make it work. And he, he's like, wait, we're going to cooperate with aliens? Yes, the leadership works with the aliens. The lower ranks don't know this. Alien tech is invaluable, especially equipment. <laughs> and he talks like, I, I don't want to work with aliens. How could you say that? After all, that's how we snagged you. <gasps> so, A3 works with aliens to have them kill people's families to breed discontent towards aliens so that they'll join their hate cult. And this guy tells Yutaka all of this and it's just like, anyway, you'll you'll be with us, right? <laughs> this is suspected all that he might be angry about this. As Yutaka is like, that's when I began burning for revenge. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I made a plan, get the secret from A3, and I used a- Akina, and I wanted you guys to confront A3, so I killed Akina and planted the A3 member list at her place so that you would come here and then i would burn all of it down you guys and and a3 i'm gonna just kill everyone because fuck all this and so shiraka says hmm so since you're planning to die too do you want to die and yutaka says it's not like i want to die 
but I don't want to live. <laughs> so, uh, so Shrek is like, okay, well, we're going to arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to help you instead of letting you die. And Yutaka says, you'll never be able to catch aliens who kill families. You never protected the surviving child. And you never arrested the criminals collaborating with aliens. So here I am, right? A3 and Foreign Affairs 5 deserve to burn. And Chaga says, yeah, it's too bad. But there is a way. You gave me an idea. Literally just now, I guess. Uh, and um, yeah, but they, then he gets in contact with people outside the barrier. We can't break through, blah, blah, blah. But then Izumi, a person, says, here's a message to A3, never underestimate Foreign Affairs 5. They've got a plan to basically eject the entire building through the shield so that they can get everyone away from the fire and save them. Nick, wow. What a chapter. They are going to go into space. They're going to become the aliens. That's how the series comes full circle. Um... As crazy as I think you might be right. Possibly. Uh, so if you haven't heard the news, this is the second to last chapter. We are going to get the last chapter of this series next week as it is ending. Sad. Um, it's unfortunate. I know everybody was eagerly awaiting Aliens Area Chapter 1000. Uh, but I think we're going to have to settle for just 20. It's insane. Like sometimes, you know, we see a series uh, get canceled and it's like, OK, well, let me show you all the stuff I was planning to do and show you all the potential that existed within the series so that, you know, it leaves readers excited for what the author will do next. And in this case, we were just kind of like trying to get starting to get happy with the pace the Alien Zero was setting for itself. And then suddenly it had to finish and immediately it went to complete and utter shit. It, <laughs> it really does smack you in the face of like why did we spend two chapters having character just characters discuss whether or not they were going to do this plan why did a chapter end revealing that the assassin guy was going to show like were you that excited for this character to show back up again that you were like i gotta devote a chapter to this and the the section five hunter or whatever the fuck his name was like all of this just feels like stuff you could have cut in favor of something else like I understand you kind of probably came up with a lot of these character designs you wanted to use it, but like that council meeting sequence of chapters really comes off as dumb in the face of all of this. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure the series is going to wrap up with Tatsumi having done basically nothing ever of consequence. That's one of the craziest is, things. This is like yeah. one of the few series where you're like, I'm sorry, who's supposed to be the lead character now? I assume. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have gotten a collage chapter cover and, it's been different, but I was like, I just assume Shigumo would be on the cover of all of them because the other guy, who cares? Like, I assume that Shiraku is yeah, Shiraku. I, I assume he is marketed as the main character. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about <sighs> bo 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 Blue Box, Nick. Yeah, I'm sorry, Chapter Blue Box. Blue Box, gotta get that. Chapter seventy three. That's what I know. Uh, and uh, we get our uh, female love interests in Chongsam's. Uh, which made me think, is there some sort of like Chinese holiday thing happening? I don't think there is. No, it says at the bottom, this was a title page art request about just having oh, okay. Chinese style outfits. Uh, people are still at the big training camp. Uh, uh, as the clubs are kind of like intersecting on their way back from a day of practice, Taiki looks and sees the basketball clubs, uh, but Junatsu is not there. 
So he asks about her. It's like, hey, where's Junatsu? And uh, Nagisa says, oh, yeah, she, she went out jogging uh, by herself. Uh, even though everyone is like super worn out, they're like, yeah, she went for more training by herself. She's crazy. Uh, Yamaoka, while they're kind of going in, you know, because Taiki asked about her, is like, oh, you a fan of Natsu? And Taiki's like, fan? It's like, yeah, you know, your first year on the badminton team, so she's your cool senpai, so, you know, you you you, you must be like a fan of hers, right? And she's, you know, super passionate about practice and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, Nagisa kind of like, t- is, is gets wry with us, like, why are you acting like her boyfriend? And Yamaoka's like, huh, oops, am I? And Taiki's like, I fucking hate him! I hate him! I hate him! <laughs> Which, I appreciate that we did finally have a moment of of this guy being like, okay, there are definitely moments where he doesn't seem like a cool dude, where he's just like, you're acting a kind of weird and condescending towards this guy, so I get why Taiki's angry towards you, at least. Um, but, uh, and also, like, there's this kind of like dismissive attitude he has towards Taiki. He's like, oh, he's a year younger, so he's just like, he's just a fan. He's just a fan. I used to have an upper class my admirer. He's like, no. We fucking live together. <laughs> yeah, he's he's real defensive in this moment in a conversation he's having with himself. With himself, with himself, yes. Um, but he's upset because it's like he's like, this is like treating my feelings towards Junatsu as if it's not actual love. It's just like, you know, admiration towards a senior student kind of thing. Uh, he ends up going on a jog as well, uh, which we determine when Hina asks around with the, uh, with the badminton club. Um, they don't actually know where he's gone though. They think he might've just gone to take a bath. Um, and Taika's like, I'm just, I'm just worried about Junatsu jogging by herself at night. And I wanted to exercise too. That's it. That's it. I'm not stalking her. <laughs> Dude, if you're the first person to bring that up, you need to calm down. Like, you take a step back. <laughs> um, But he also justifies to himself, like, look, if it were Hina in this situation, I'd be worried about her too. And I'd be trying to find her too. Um, We get what I think is an Epo reference because he passes by some leaves flaring through the air. He kind of like, you know, snatches them out of the air with punches, which is the first thing literally that happens in all of Hajime no Epo. Um, But he and then he, you know, he's thinking to himself, well, this is happening. uh, And he's like, look, I've got a lot of things that I need to think about. But the more thinking I do, the less sure I am that they're actually my thoughts that are in my head now. Like there's all these ideas that people have had. And we get this, you know, kind of like reestablishment of like things that he's seen and people have been talking to him about relationship stuff. And he's like, I don't really know like what all this is. And he's rumors all the advice that he's gotten from Kyo and from Ayame and who have been like, hey, you know, like, why not go out with someone who says do you like them and stuff? But Taiki says to himself, I think that love is more intuitive than that. And then he starts to get kind of honest with himself and he says, maybe I'm actually starting to really see Hina as a girl since the time that she confessed to me. I've been noticing it more and more when I'm around her. The more days that pass, the harder it is to reply to her confession. Um, There's a very weird brief moment where he thinks that uh, there might be a bear that's going to attack them because he sees a bear bear sign. (laughs) Maybe it's uh, a zombie bear, Nick. Zombie bear. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, Taiki says, like, my feelings towards Shinatsu might include admiration since, you know, she is a year older than me and she's this beautiful, popular student who works hard and she's cool. Uh, um, but even though the distance between us has shrunk physically, I still don't really know what goes on in her head. And if I still have feelings of admiration towards her, that means there's still distance there. But it's because I admire her that I want to stand by her side. And at that moment, Chinatsu calls out to Taiki and he turns around and he sees her with an old woman riding piggyback on her back, <laughs> uh, which uh, is surprising to Taiki, of course. Uh, but it's very quickly explained that uh, Ch Chinatsu is helping this woman out because I went to the mountains to harvest a wild plant and I have an egg! <laughs> She's just screaming it. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> I go into the mountains all the time! <laughs> uh, so Chinatsu's just being, being, being a good person and helping her out. Uh, but Taiki, you know, runs over and he's like, all right, I'll, I'll take over. And, uh, Chinatsu has fortunately she found a payphone and called ahead to the inn to let them know that what's going on. Uh, and so Taiki goes to you know help uh, carry the woman who says to Chinatsu, "Oh, you must be tired." And Chinatsu says, "No, nah, I work out regularly. It's it's fine." Um, and as Taiki is just looking at her, uh, he just has this moment to himself, and then he just kind of breaks into this like laughing sm smile as he's observing this. Uh, and they set off together to go back to the inn. And the narration then is the chapter is Taiki saying, my favorite color is blue. My favorite drink is cola. That's what I know. As in, I know I like Chinatsu, basically. So this was a weird but interesting chapter. Uh, I liked it, uh, but it is odd, definitely in a lot of places. I legit, when, when I first started reading this chapter, I was like, did I miss a chapter? Like, I truly was like, I don't remember where we were at the end of last chapter. I didn't remember if, like, Chinatsu finding this old woman was, like, part of, like, a previous chapter or something like that. I was like, why do I feel like I have no context for what's going on right now? Um, mm -hmm. But I, it is still a good chapter. I do like that simplistic ending of him, like, going through the chapter being like, what are my feelings? What are my feelings? And he sees her do something. He's like, you know what? Just like, I know my favorite color is blue. My favorite drink's cola. I know this. I know. I, I, know. I don't know. It's just very simple yeah. and, and nice. Good for him. Yeah. Just that reassurance of like, I know I like this girl. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and, you know, there's a lot of confusion. He's still got to work out. But he knows that much. Yeah. So. All right, Nick. Let's talk about the next big powerhouse of Shonen Jump. Uh, we'll see. Ginka <laughs> and Luna. Chapter six. Not, not The hopes are staying right here. They're not going here. They're not going here, definitely. But they're not going here. Yeah. They're just going to stay in right here. Right here. Right. We're going to hold on to them. Uh, <laughs> Luna wakes up and freaking <laughs> kip up somersault cartwheels through the air uh, to be like, I'm awake now! Ta-da! Wait, there's a tiny Ginkga here. <laughs> Yeah, the rock Ginkka, the smaller form of the snow Ginkka, uh, is there. Uh, and she, of course, is shocked to see that. And he's kind of just, like, very weirdly calm about this whole thing because she calls him a tiny Ginkka. And, and he says, I mean, you could say that the other one's the big version of me, 
the only thing I know is that you're way too loud. It's like, wow, spicy. Uh, so uh, we get like a conversation between uh, the two Ginkas, Luna and Beretta, uh, as, as Luna tries to establish like, OK, so who are you? And the small Ginka says, I'm Ginka. And Ginka says, but I'm Ginka. And small Ginka says, okay, so several body fragments gathered and combined and brought along the body's memories, and I'm the result. So the individual body fragments of Ginka can, in fact, move uh, in addition to supplying immense magical power to different beings and places, seemingly. Uh, And uh, the small Ginka says, so I woke up in this tunnel and it was already full of magical energy, and I wanted to get out and rejoin the main body, but I had to help out the people who were wandering around here lost. And since my abilities are restricted, I figured the best way to protect everyone would be to create a barrier and wait for another magician to come and help. And that's why the area that they're in is actually, you know, comfortable. Uh, and the small Ginka says that time moves 700 times slower within the barrier that he set up than it normally does. And that's why everyone's okay, despite the fact that two years have passed on the outside. It's just been like a couple of weeks at most for any of them. Um, so uh, they go over that. We get a couple of jokes about how the small Ginka acts very, very different from the snow Ginka. Uh, and Brett is like, okay, so you say that you possess the body's memories. And does that mean that you used to be like this in the past. And the small Ginka says, yeah, I'm Ginka at nine years old. Uh, and uh, which Luna reacts to by being like, oh, well, weren't you lonely because you're all by yourself? Because she's remembering what she was like at that age when she was just in the wasteland of the, of the Arctic uh, wastes by herself. And Ginka says, well, I'm a magician. I can control my emotions. Uh, and uh, basically we get this indication that there might be all sorts of different Ginkas out there. All sorts of different Kirby forms to discover, basically, uh, because there's like, oh, there could be a cloud Ginka and a, and, and a wood Ginka and all these other things. Uh, and uh, then um, the small Ginka says, well, I'm glad that you guys found me because now I can return in peace, uh, at which Luna's like, well, why don't we stay together? And the small Ginka says, we can't. Mm. Magaraka is coming. We have to prepare next time for sure we have to win which uh obviously the snow ginka knows about but luna doesn't have any contacts for uh and then we cut to later it's time for everyone to go home in order to do that the the small ginka has to undo the barrier which means that the entire cave and all the monsters surrounding it are going to spring into action and attack them so we get this kind of escape sequence of everyone running away while the magicians cover for them uh Crazy stuff happens. Uh, Beretta uses her tech skills to get a freaking rail cart that's in the cave going. Uh, and while she's working on that, uh, Anemone uh, buys them time by fighting some of the monsters. Then people jump in the rail car. Ginka forms into a second rail car to chase after that one. And they freaking roller coaster their way out of the cave to safety. People are reunited with their families. And everyone thanks all the magicians for helping them. Just like this big, long, stretched out panel of just all these different people saying thank you to them and the different magicians reacting to it. Uh, different levels of like pride and embarrassment and such. Uh, and then the small Ginka, you know, uh, Luna makes sure to point out like, really, it's all thanks to him that everyone's safe. And they say, well, what do we call him? 
and the snow ginkka says this is rock ginkka and the smaller ginkka says that's a very self-centered view should i call you snow ginkka then uh but luna says i mean why don't we call you minigin that's short and it's cute and the little ginkka is like yeah okay so they're like minigin 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 and he gets embarrassed uh and uh then we get this really rapid like uh montage of like by the way we actually returned to the tunnels a number of times after that because there was all this magical energy that was accumulated due to complications from overmining. Beretta used her knowledge and skills to fix the circulator that no one been able to repair in a long time. Uh, the, two years ago, there was all this magical energy exposure causing all these problems, and now that's fixed. So the town would be a lot better off in addition to people no longer being in danger going into it. And now we're planning to go to our next destination, which is going to be... The Magical Guild, which of course Luna doesn't know about, so we get a, an info dump about it, saying, "Oh yeah, it's got all—it's the highest authority on magic and, uh, and magical research in the world. Uh, they're the top three percent of magicians. They're superstars." Uh, and Minigan says it's actually essential that we go through the guild because any job request that would involve a body part is going to be a high star job. Any job above six stars automatically goes through the guild so we literally can't take it unless we join them basically which i appreciate that they established like this is why we're doing it it's for the overall mission that we're doing this um and uh then they say that ginkka used to be a member of the guild and so he's not really pumped about this plan there was some sort of a split that occurred between him and the rest of the guild but he's not ready to tell them about that yet um but Luna's looking forward to stuff because she's like, hey, you know, there might be people there who remember him. Maybe we can get some info while we're there. Uh, and also, they're going to be going there to, by ascending the world's highest mountain, Planet Peak, which gets Luna pumped up. Yes. Uh, fun little chapter. Uh, the series continues to just be something that's pretty light and like fun to, to read, and that's good. Yeah. It's a fun little adventure. Quinn! It is time for our exchange of puzzles and games. Are you prepared? Always. Mm. All right, here is my clue for you. <clears throat> Porcelain Pummeler's pithy victory proves Pyrrhic provokes fury. Okay. Porcelain could mean a couple of different things. Could mean extraordinarily white, mm-hmm. like a super white group of wrestlers, mm-hmm. uh, which could unfortunately be a lot. Like when I hear porcelain, the first thing I'm like, how many tag teams has Sheamus been a part of? <laughs> uh, and he was part of a Greek one. The bar is one of the best tag teams ever. Um, uh, I, this is a single performer, I should say, performer. not a team. All right, say it again. I'm sorry. Porcelain Pummeler's pithy victory proves Pyrrhic provokes fury. Okay, so it's one wrestler mm-hmm. whose victory didn't matter because he's got their shit pushed in afterwards. Kind of. Uh, I don't want us to waste too much time on this, and I'll just say, you've already said the name. Okay, is it Seamus? Seamus. <laughs> Specifically in reference to uh, WrestleMania 28, 
when he won, he beat Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds and everyone hated it. Yeah. <laughs> then, pithy, pithy means short. Yeah, so That makes sense. Uh, Nick, do you think you can guess this wrestler in one minute? Uh, I'm going to try and have better discipline than last time. So let's see. All right. Yes or no question starting now. All right. Are they an active wrestler? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, have they, were they wrestling in the 2000s? Yes. Okay. Uh, do they currently wrestle in WWE? Yes. Okay. Uh, have they ever wrestled for Impact? I don't believe so, no. Okay. Um, did they used to wrestle... No, hang on. Shit. Did they ever wrestle in ECW? WWECW. WWECW, yes. Okay. Fuck, fuck. Have they won the Intercontinental Championship? Yes. Okay. Um, have, have they won the tag team championships? Yes. Okay. They're a tag team um, champion. Ha- okay. Have they ever won money in the bank? No. Okay. Uh, tag team. Okay. Final guess. Is it... Shelton Benjamin. It is Shelton Benjamin on the dot. You can't stop Nick. No stopping Nick now. <laughs> that was why I asked about the money in the bank thing because I start. I went to WWE ECW and I was like, that might be Shelton Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had as soon as you asked WCW, you're like, did they wrestle WWE ECW? I was like, there can't be many people who wrestled there or started. There are not. I guess Kofi Kingston. Yeah. And. That might be it. I don't. I don't. Uh, even, I don't the, even remember where John Morrison. Oh, the Miz. I guess the Miz as well, yeah. has done it. Sheamus debuted in ECW too. Oh, did um, Yeah, there have been there like anyone you can think of that like showed up in the 2000s. There are a fair few that were in ECW. But yeah, I'm happy with that one. There you nice. go. Good job. All right, let's All talk right, about yo. the creepy puppet man. <laughs> Chapter fifty three. Is it fun to steal? <laughs> Feels like we're gonna get in trouble for yeah. this topic. <laughs> Uh, so we get this like very ominous prediction, uh, from Sorachika regarding Sadame's performance, which is, I don't think he's going to make it to the end. Distrustful, huh? It's rude to describe Fanta like that. And we cut her to Sadame, who is bleeding from the nose as he goes through his performance. And he just says to himself, I'm thinking so hard. I've given myself a bloody nose. (laughs) Um, and, uh, he admits to himself, whenever I've practiced, I can never play this piece with just one fantasy, whether it be Meloli's Distortion, Reijiro Odogami's Sunset Titan, uh, Mimian Odogami's Distorted Forest, Fanta Odogami's Sparkling Theme Park. I needed to combine all four to play La Campanella until the end. I can't finish the piece without each of them. And this time I copied Fanta's La Campanella with the theme park's closing chimes. I have to play this today or else the plan's ruined. But it's so hard. Uh, so yeah, um, Put this down as like I guess Shonen Jump uh, series that I did not expect a uh, character to give them s- to have a character exerting so much effort that they started to experience an aneurysm, but it still seems appropriate somehow. Um, so he's like, "All right, all right, I can't, I can't do this uh, with just Fanta's uh, theme park. I need to instead for the ending 
play Sora Chika Otogami's version, which I've never been able to replicate. Nothingness. And we just get that word repeated, nothingness, as Sadama keeps on struggling to play the piece. And he eventually just goes, I can't do it. <laughs> it's just this bizarrely comedic, like, ah! <laughs> just falls apart on him. Uh, so, yeah, that's the end of it. People are talking about the performance, like, oh, man, it felt like we were experiencing Fada Odogami's fantasy there, but it disappeared halfway through. I mean, it was amazing he did it all, but yeah. Um, the headmaster of the university says, yeah, Sadami didn't plan to do that in public. Uh, to which Dada Sensei says, what, what do you mean, why? And she says, well, you know why. To win against Gakuan Otogami, he needed to copy Sorachika Otogami. Uh, and this is different from that miraculous day when you won, when you beat uh, Gakuan Otogami. He should have mastered Sorachika's Otogami's style beforehand. And since he didn't, there's no way he could have won against Sorachika. And Dada Sensei says, okay, well, then why did you let him perform? Uh, and she says, well, he's not, he doesn't listen to me. It's true that this event provided the perfect opportunity to study them up close. And originally, he intended to tutor Lucky in exchange for a meeting with Sorachika. An alien doll appears. <laughs> Hello, friends. Hello, fellow humans. I've been sitting between you the whole time. <laughs> I uh, would like your opinions on how to best prepare your meat. I don't have a nose. Is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> so he speaks up on Sadami's behalf and says, okay, the performer doesn't... Can I get a ride me. home today? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't seem to navigate the pedals on my car. On the tiny, only... <laughs> the tiny bicycle I ride around everywhere. <laughs> If this dude showed up into the scene riding a tiny tricycle, I would 100% believe it. Just run, run away forever. I can't wait to hear how the piano played. If you don't satisfy me with your piano recital, I will take your hands oh. and eat them. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, um, Dada-sensei's like, what are you doing here? Why are you sitting here? Won't, won't fans make a scene? And they say, no worries, I've made arrangements for certain people to sit around me, and I'm here because I wanted to see your student. He wanted to see Lucky. Hey, remember when Furusa was the main character in this series? Here she is! <laughs> <laughs> so, Furusu is sitting there, and she's still just, like, thinking about Sora Chika's performance. Even now, after Sadame's performance, she's still thinking about Sora Chika's, and she thinks to herself, what did that performance mean to me? And she imagines this scribble, and she says, it was something indescribable, inexplicable, that appeared before me. And that feeling of assurance, what was that? I don't know. And then she, like, looks down at her hand and realizes that without consciously thinking about it, she voted for Sorachika's performance. And all of the maestros, the masters, the teachers in the audience, the three of them 
look between each other and like, who did you vote for? Sorshi Godogami. I mean, come on. Yeah. And literally all 1,000 votes went to Sorshika, which was a thing we were thinking might happen just because there was basically no other way for there to be dramatic tension in who would get the most total votes. But it's still pretty goddamn crazy. Just like, yeah, no, Sorshika's like, I mean, had like an untouchable performance compared to Sadame's. So, yeah. Um, and uh, Furusu's uh, kind of looking around and she thinks, did Sadame lose on purpose? And she thinks more about like, you know, losing to Mimin, uh, you know, how heartbroken she was when the same piece was played ahead of hers. And she thinks I wouldn't be able to handle seeing my own performance lose like that. And we've got to win this. But I, I have to think when I bumped into him earlier, Fata Omotogami's hands were cold. Some people have cold hands. Fanta is tall. Look, I'm not the tallest person, but I have long arms. My hands are cold literally all the time. It's not weird if your extremities are very far from your core, if they're cold. It's not weird that Fanta's hands are cold. <laughs> I am objecting to this point. Nope, he's a monster, Nick. <laughs> Fine. At Halloween, he's a monster. Sadame goes back into the waiting room. He's got some tissue up his nose for the blood, uh, the, the nosebleed. And he's like, sorry, I lost. She just doesn't look nearly at all broken up about it. Maloli is there and she's like, oh, it's a good try. And she smiles at him and looks kind of, you know, mischievous. And Sadame's like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? And Mimin says, is it fun to steal? You know, I'm the type who sees more value in the original if there are multiple versions of it. I wonder what type Fanta Odogami is. Anyway, sorry, uh, Lucky's up next, so let's listen to it. Uh, and yeah, they alternate who goes first in each round, so Lucky is going to go ahead of Fanta, and we will see the start of his performance, presumably next week. I do like the idea of this Mimin plans here of like, Fanta might be fucking pissed off that you tried to copy him, so. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting chapter. I mean, we got some cool stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, like, just hints of, like, little things that might be coming up for certain individual characters, so I couldn't really, like, just skip over, like, what Furusu's talking about and stuff. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of little nuggets to dig into. Um, it is... A way of like approaching like oh this is what Sonome's skill is but like unlike other series where there's a character who's like I duplicate somebody else's abilities so like his taxes him so much that it's just like impossible to really do it in that way as a satisfying way to be like hey Sonome is cool but the Odogamis are still they're broken man they can't stop these kids yeah it's an interesting way to build up a character as like impressive by having them lose unanimously. <laughs> uh, so, Nick, let's bash on through Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 128, the AIM sibling and the eldest brother. So last time Lance and Dot tried to fight him, they failed. He looks like he's about to go for the killing blow on Dot. Uh, he is intercepted by Rain Ames, uh, followed by his brother Finn. They're, they have survived. And, you know, a little bat 
eye thing is there so it can essentially project this fight to the general public of the world and you know innocent zero's like now you will witness your world comes to an end and it looks as though doom just straight up murders aim like our rain he just slashes down looks like he like takes like a cleaves like a huge chunk out of his shoulder but it begins to instantly heal and then he strikes a doom and it's like a really cool attack and then they they have like a big back and forth and doom's just like no injuries how is this guy doing it is it healing magic meanwhile rain's like this guy is ridiculously powerful if i make one misstep i am dead no doubt so he and finn are like all right we're gonna just go with our best at this point and rain throws like a shit ton of swords at him which i thought for a moment they were gonna say that's his best is like i feel like we've seen a lot of people be like this is my best i throw a lot of my thing <laughs> um <laughs> but it's not like there's like a you know doom stops it with his hand and then there's like another large sword coming at him he's like yeah hey, who cares and he, he's he's swinging in to get it rain and then that's when finn changes places and now he's suddenly like right at the cusp of an attack he's like oh no and boom all the swords you know connect big explosion dust effect the ames brothers are like we're at our limit at this point no longer but then doom emerges from the uh the dust with like giant swords hanging out of him and he's just like good not good enough to stop me but you have impressed me so i'll use half of my power as a show of respect it looks as though basically the swords did not actually cut into him at all. They cracked around his body because he's just too powerful. He's very, um, very strong. Yeah. Mash still ain't awake yet. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hope it's soon. <laughs> we're running out of people. I, I, I assume we're going to get a chapter of Mad Order try, or, or Order Maddle trying to stop him. And that, then, then at some point, it's going to be like, all right, when's, when's Mash showing up here? Mash coming up here. Yeah. All right, time for the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 82, Kojiro, 1335. The awful villain guy is like, I've got no regrets at all. I'm an awful person. Remember me. I assaulted so many people. And his opponent was like, what an honorable duel. And they, he tips his hat to him. <laughs> I feel like. Okay, we fuck get, this guy. We get Fubuki and Shizuku and one of the shrine maidens that he was attacking all staring and they don't say anything. I like to think at least one of them was like, so that guy was fucked up, right? He was a monster. It's good that we killed him. Yeah, (laughs) everyone else is like, fuck that guy. Can we start peeing on his grave now? Like, I just have a giant dump I want to take on it. Uh, We get over to the battle between Shibukawa and Kojiro. Uh, and now, you know, the battle is much more even than it was when they were utilizing uh, Shibukawa's fatigue because he's basically getting kicks to overcome the range disadvantage. Um, and uh, we get some commentary from Yorishige about how all the young warriors are growing in leaps and bounds because of the experience that they're getting. And then we get a flashback from Kojiro's perspective where, you know, his his father was uh, scolding him and uh, he's getting instructions saying, like, all right, you're going to, you, you know, you ever, whatever you do, your name's not going to live on. You will leave no legacy. Will you be my son's Kagemusha anyway? In that case, you must have strong motivation or you'll die without <laughs> knowing meaning in life. And there's just this uh, m- montage of Kotro's led a shit life. Uh, he you know, never knew his parents. Uh, he would train hard and never really get any gratitude for it. He learned to kill at the age of seven. Uh, and there's this 
grotesque scene where we see that there is this guy strangling a woman while Kodro digs a sword into his freaking jugular vein. But despite that, you know, he's bonded with Tokiyuki, who's cheering him on in this moment. And he thinks to himself, my lord doesn't want to kill, but he still bears the Hojo's fate. He wants us as his retainers to achieve glory. And he isn't strong, but he excels at fleeing and being kind. And since I became his retainer, I've had a place to call home. And this is just a cute little scene of the two of them going fishing together with some of their friends. And uh, he's like, I've got a home now because of Hojo Tokiyuki. And I've got this powerful enemy staring me down. I've got incredibly powerful motivations. Uh, we get a bit of a reestablishment of the battle scene as there's a pincher movement that's being launched by the Ashikaga army. Uh, and uh, Shibukawa is upset that his own side is kind of interfering in part of the battle, but that distracts him from Kodro, who's like, hey, pay attention. This is a fight between the two of us. Ignore everything else. Uh, he gets kicked away again. And so everyone's like, oh, no, Shibukawa's going to finish him off. He's been kicked into the air. It's the finishing blow. He gets kicked again. He gets kicked a third time. It's a big setup. He's it's he's like building momentum with each kick, which is not how this works. But <laughs> let's pretend it, everything works on video game physics and you jump higher with each jump. Uh, and he builds momentum from his kicks into this huge whirlwind attack, a massive swing of his sword. Uh, which is going to freaking bisect Kodro, but Kodro braces his sword uh, against his wrist and against his knee and then lets the block that he uh, executes swing his body so it spirals him through the air into a freaking Sonic the Hedgehog spin attack that ends with him slashing his sword vertically into Shibakawa's shoulder and he swings it so hard it breaks the blade off of his katana and buries it in his body. It's pretty metal. Yeah, pretty badass finish. So that's 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 that chapter is uh, Kodra wins. Hooray! Yeah, good little conclusion to all that. Alright, Nick, let's jump over to page 341 of Black Clover Hazy and we're introduced to three members of the Yuzu 7, Jozo Hanagatsuji, Daisemon Oka, and Komari Amari. I will remember well done. Well done. none of these yeah. characters' names. None uh, of them are nearly as important as the as the one that we've already met, yes. so it's fine. <laughs> uh, we are introduced to them, and then we get a two-page spread of them whooping the living shit out of Asta. Just boom, 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 one after the other. So, good stuff. Um... Daisemon. Apparently they beat the shit out of him before they make introductions too, because yeah. after they do that, when it was like, oh, so you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they showed up, whooped his ass, introduced themselves, and whooped his ass again. Uh, and they, we, we get basically a quick snippet of their personalities. Uh, the girl one, Kamari, is like very fashion forward and like, I'm creating a new aesthetic and all this sort of stuff. And one with the Hansa mask is like, ah, I'm the mysterious ninja and what you're doing is, you know, you should be a ninja and be more stealthy. And then the third guy is a pervert. That's his character. That's the only trait we find about him is he's like, I like that your outfit doesn't leave much to the imagination. So cool. Uh, 
Ryuta is just like, hey, thanks you guys for showing up. This is great. Everyone's very grateful for him to be there. And they're like, yeah, you ready to go, Asta? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Gets his ass kicked some more. But in this moment, he's has to acknowledge, like, okay, there's different ways these people are using their um, their Zetan. You know, some of them are, you know, firing off, you know, kicks and that are dividing their strength by half. And other are doing, like, barrages of punches. So I just got to figure out how I, you know, how to develop and control my Zetan. It's really tough. And then Chica shows up. And Asta's like, how old are you? I'm 18. She's like, 24. He's like, oh, I thought we were the same age. Uh, and she can't really blame him. She's, she's small. Yeah, she's <laughs> small and, and looks very, very young. Uh, he, basically, she's like, look, Lord Ryuya asked me to look after you. And he may not look like it, but he's very busy trying to stabilize the government in the land of the sun. And he has his Tengetsu. Uh, uh, it's his right eye that can see anything happening anywhere all at once and she's like wow like that's cool but what about him is so amazing and achika immediately starts to like fangirl she's like no he has no magic but he used his tengetsu his rare wisdom and his popularity to unite the warring fragmented land of sun and he's super cool and he's awesome and he's truly magnificent and then she's like stops she's like anyway he told me to train you <laughs> but i don't really like you uh i can't stand you but out of respect for the lord i will do it essentially so he's like all right cool and he, she you know mass is like it seems like you really respect that guy she's like yeah but not just a shogun also his benefactor he saved me and asta's like you know it makes sense like captain yami's the one who saved me too you know he's the one who first acknowledged me and gave me my a way to work towards my dream and you know we, we were really proud of him over on our lord he's rough and violent and maybe bossy but and chica's like stop i told you not to talk about this guy <laughs> and asta's like why it's your brother right are you not curious about him yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he said he got shipwrecked out while he was fishing and drifted over to the Clover Kingdom. And Achiga's like, he probably just told you random nonsense. That man is scum of the lowest order. I don't want to hear about him. And Asta's like, hey, don't don't say that. I mean, you're his sister. I mean, sure, Yami's crazy, but and she's like, he massacred our entire clan. And then we take from a shot of her as she is now, full of anger, to her as a child with her eyes still wide of hope as she goes to her older brother and is like, hey, brother. And we just close off the chapter with a young Yami that's like, hey, stick close, Chica. So it looks like we're looks getting like a Yami Looks like he's going fishing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That'd be great if we see the flashback is exactly what he said. He's like, Oh no, shipwreck. And then like just drifts off into like the next shot. Seven he massacred our entire clan. <laughs> what did you mean by that? He took a stinky dub before we left and plugged the toilet and he didn't fix it. And then he got shipwrecked. It was a mess. I hate him. I hope he's dead. Everyone died of dysentery because of that stinky doom dung dummy left. That would be, you know, I would say this is bad character development, but it is character development that sticks to the core of Yami's character, which is giant massive dogs. <laughs> I was very worried about this chapter in the first uh, f seven-ish pages where it's like, oh, hey, check out these colorful characters that have one character to trade to define them, and they are otherwise completely unremarkable, and one's the pervert, and one's the girl, and stuff. I was like, god damn, no, don't do this again. Don't fall into this again. Please. And then the rest of the chapter has nothing to do with them. Thank God uh, we get start getting into stuff that is like, our, you know, like, hey, let's learn more about this 
this character that we've already met. Uh, we get you know some hints of like this close bond between her and Ryuya. And hey, we're going to see a bit of like Yami's past from her perspective. So that should be cool. Yes. And I ended up overall quite liking this chapter, but it was definitely like, oh, I don't know about the look of this for about the first third of it. So. Uh-huh. All right. And let's close off with one piece. Yeah, chapter yo, yeah, one. yo. Dreaming. Yeah. Oh, I'll do the whole song. We don't have time for it. Nick, okay. please, we have... <laughs> We're gonna get copyright cut. Yeah, we have things. To, yeah, we're gonna get copyright cut. They're gonna come at us. Chapter one thousand sixty-three. My only family, uh, and uh, there is um, apparently a pudding thing. Pudding still alive, uh, according to these cover pages. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Uh, so last time, after discovering the food vending machine, uh, Bonnie and Chopper and Luffy all got mega stuffed, and there is you know a brief moment where like you know their belly's swollen uh, because they their post One Piece mega eating session, uh, and the Vegapunk that is with them zero five it says, "Wow, you sure all ate your fill. All four of you are stuffed to bursting." And Jinbei says, "No, I always look like this," which. <laughs> I feel kind of bad for him getting lumped in with everyone there. Um, the Vegapunk s- s- does tries to leave everyone and says, I got to get back to my job. Violence. <laughs> and just goes and starts beating the shit out of some of the inventions, uh, including um, a Recycoli, a robot dog that recycles stuff by eating it, I guess. Um... Then everyone kind of like, you know, looks around. Uh, they're finding stuff. Uh, everyone gets like their outfits for uh, while they're here because they get into a clothing uh, producing thing. Luffy now has Astro Boy boots. Yep. Uh, and um, Bonnie also goes through an outfit change. She loses uh, her pants. With- which in One Piece terms causes her to look completely different uh, because, you know, her clothes change. Uh, yes, she she has. Yeah, uh, and Jimbei's got a Hawaiian shirt. I, yeah. I love Jimbei, my guy, my dad, walked into a fucking machine and was like, give me shirt and hit a button and they put a Hawaiian shirt on. He was like, done and done. And he just loved any outfit and he was like and oh good thing they had this tropical pattern this is my jam a machine <laughs> that appears to specialize in face future t- like uh, space future tech and he he walked in he's like one floral pattern hawaiian shirt please uh also not to discount chopper's interaction with it which is also again astro boy pattern and his reaction is i'm the future which is pretty great so um then uh, as they're just still chilling out, Luffy's eating food. Uh, Luffy's like, I see the bear. I wonder if he's looking for us. And oh my gosh, it's a Kuma bot uh, with police across his chest. And Luffy's like, he's he's going to run. Let's move. And it's like, yeah, Luffy's like, a cab. Let's get this guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, it starts to follow Kuma cannon because they're eating without payment and stealing clothes, which, of course, they're like, wait, we had to pay for that since when? It didn't say we had to pay for it. Uh, it fires its cannon. They all go flying. Uh, and uh, Luffy's like, all right, we got to fight back. 
uh, and Jinbei says, yes, it's justified self-defense if you ignore the part about us being pirates. <laughs> Just there's a funny little note to, to throw in there. Uh, Luffy goes to launch his freaking elephant gun at uh, the Kuma, but Bonnie shouts out, stop, while launching a bicycle kick that catches Luffy in the face. Uh, Luffy clearly like sees it coming because like he reacts before it happens, but he doesn't stop it. Um, and uh, so he gets kicked out of the way just as the Kuma is firing a cannon. And he's like, why are you doing that? And Bonnie just says, that's my daddy. Please don't hurt my daddy. And she's crying and remembering when she was a little kid getting, well, physically a little kid. Uh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> getting picked up by Kumo before he got all the cybernetic implants and stuff. He does seem like a good dad. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's one image. Yeah. But, uh, of course, they all realize, like, this is a freaking pacifista, so we can't just, like, take no action. He launched, the Kuma launches a cannon, blows shit up, and then we cut away to... <sighs> so, it's, it's, a, it's, it's Law's ship, and uh, they're like, oh, no, the water pressure is flooding in. There's no escape, Captain. And Law says, prepare for battle. And Laws turned into a woman. What? Ooh. This is crazy. That's oh, wild. Nick, what could possibly be happening? Oh, no. What's going on here? All Some of the members of Laws crew are like, you look fantastic, Captain. Uh, and some of the other crewmates get affected by it, too. Uh, because it's spreading like a disease. I, It'll change your gender. A gender altering virus. My God. Can I can I just stress how deeply I would not trust any of the crew members who were like, you no. look really hot now after this. And I was like, no. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that this is like a whole thing and I'm not going to get into people's preferences or anything like that but yes if you said to someone that you intimately knew because their body changed like oh you're hot now I was like you're like it's not not the first reaction you should have hold on there bluster yeah <laughs> uh but uh law says I learned something in that emperor fight you can break through these powers and because they can't withstand intense hockey and Law willpowers his way into not having boobs anymore. <laughs> he willpowers his way to to uh, being male, and uh, we find out the reason for it is because he's fighting Blackbeard's crew, and yep. Doc Q is there, and he's like, "Ah, you had had you have fun with the feminization disease?" And he has the sick sick fruit, and like this man can make any disease he wanted, and he made a horny one, like a disease that apparently. Makes you a woman, which, by the way, if there were just any women in Law's crew, would presumably do nothing. Because, <laughs> like, it doesn't say it's like a gender flip disease or anything it's like, like feminization that. Feminization. Yeah. So, if there was any woman in the crew, they'd probably just be fine. But also, just like, why was that why? the one you. <laughs> Oh, they were momentarily distracted. <laughs> like, like, why did we need to use this one? Couldn't you have just made like a super flu or something like that feels like it would be very helpful uh 
So as it turns out, yes, Blackbeard's crew have all sorts of new devil fruits, uh, including Van Auger, who has a warp warp fruit, which as like one of the most dangerous snipers in the world makes him fucking terrifying. <laughs> they show four new devil fruits and far and away, the one that lets him teleport is the most terrifying. The other ones you're like, all right, disease fruit, yeah. whatever. Really, really strong. Burg- Burgess is strong. Okay. Yeah, Burgess downgraded from getting the flame flame fruit to he's really strong now. Yeah. Like, yes, he can he can throw mounds, but it's like, yeah, but he was already pretty strong. It's just that he's more of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they make a note, Law makes a note of like, oh man, they've been getting all these preposterous powers because they've been going around the world hunting down really powerful devil fruits, and that's why their bounties keep on rising. Uh, so Burgess throws a mountain at them. Uh, Law uses his room ability to stop it. Okay. Uh, and then up in the sky, what's that? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a guy riding another guy riding a horse that can fly. <laughs> it's stronger. Uh, Yay. Stronger. The horse now has eaten a devil fruit, which was a horse, horse fruit, mythical type model Pegasus. So you can fly now. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, Law shouts up to Blackbeard, who is just freaking like riding on stronger while like pressing down on Doc Q so he can fit on the whole thing. Uh, he's like, why are you here? Uh, and Blackbeard says, don't be so cold to your fellow worst generation. Straw hat kid, are you? I knew that one of you was going to sail here from Wano. So go figure that Kaido and Big Mom fell. You've turned the whole world upside down. It's been a blast. Of course. Kaido would have had at least one. And how many have you found? I'll take all your road poneglyphs. Well, that would be bad if that happened. <laughs> it, so. it would be. Uh, I am excited about this because this feels like the first time since the time skip in which we will get a conclusion to Blackbeard doing something. Like every other time Blackbeard has attempted to do something it gets interrupted by other people showing up to interfere and sort of drive him away. And like, I feel like it's had to have happened because white beard or black beard is just so strong that like, really like mm-hmm. you can't show him losing. So he, he can't really win. Someone has to like scare him away. And this is like one time where are like, we don't need to do that. He could just kick law's ass. Like, yeah, it's fine. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it, it does make sense. We, we've we've had that, like, set up at the idea that the uh, op-op fruit has, like, the ultimate ability to make someone immortal at the cost of the, someone's life. Um, and, like, it just feels like that's a payoff that we haven't seen explored yet. So I feel like that might come up here. Yeah, uh, we will see where that goes. Maybe. I don't know. I instinctively went, I don't know if we're going to see how this unfolds. We'll probably just get it recapped I, I, seven months from now. I, uh, <laughs> I do feel like we won't actually see the conclusion of it, but I feel like it will conclude. I feel like we will not right. at least get a character who's just like, well, so then Uruk showed up and what Blackbeard was like, ah, and he ran away, you know? Yeah. Also, I'm glad that we stopped dancing around the plot point that uh, Kuma is Bonnie's dad uh, when it seemed like really, really obvious uh, from the get go uh, when this was first hinted to. Uh, so, yeah, it was like, OK, yeah, it's established. We're, we, we can just like deal with that now if that's going to have any consequences. Okay. So good stuff. All right. Yeah, that's it for manga this week, everybody. 
so we want to uh, thank everyone for joining us, but stick around because we're going to do all the uh, conclusion stuff, including our next recommendation. Uh, so favorite series and MVP for this week. What'd you got, Quinn? Uh, I'm just going to do mine real quick here. Favorite series, Undead Unlocked. It's the coolest chapter this week. I love the countdown to it. Very awesome. And then my character of the week was Anya because she made me giggle a lot. Very funny. It was very funny. I have to basically completely echo you. Uh, I thought that Undead Unlocked was undeniably the best chapter this week. I do want to give some love to Black Clover. Uh, because it ended up being a really good chapter just after a shaky beginning. And I don't want to give Ichika my ch- my character of the week twice in a row, even though I did think that it was like, okay, no, this is good stuff. I, I like that we're seeing more of this character while still not getting away from like what's been established about her so far. So, yeah. um, um, the, but Anya was too fucking funny this week. Anya was very good. <laughs> uh, the audience, by the way, picked uh, Undead Lock as their series of the week and a tie for character of the week between Kikoru from Kaiju number eight and Asago from Akanamanashi. Yeah. Asago had, had a cool moment. Turns out he's not such a big jerk. Yeah. He's just, he's just got a hard edge. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Maga Recap. We record the show here Wednesday on twitch.tv slash RoloT, usually starting somewhere around 7.30 or 8 Eastern time in the evening. Uh, but you can check out when we're going to go live by following us on social media at NickFTime, at RoloT, at WMR Podcast. A notification goes out when the stream goes live, and that notification also goes out on the Weekly Maga Recap Discord server. Be sure to join that. We are our wonderful community has bi-weekly game nights, discusses chapters as they come out. And you can use that as well to find the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of recommendations that we have taken and done in the past, uh, statistics associated with the show, like favorite series and MVPs that we vote on each week and that the audience votes on each week as well. Yes. Uh, if you'd like more Weekly Manga Recap, you can support us on Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. There's bonus content on there for $5 backers and up. And uh, YouTube has our video episodes, YouTube.com slash Weekly Manga Recap, where you can see the opening sequence and the video version done by Winslow Del Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. And title cards done by Steve Mann, whose work you can check out at Twitter.com slash Steve Mann Art and anywhere generally that he's got an account where he can post stuff. Uh, it's boobs. Uh and uh, we would also like to say, uh, if you want to just listen to every episode of the show, weeklymagarecap.poppy.com is where the IO stuff gets posted. And uh, there are various outlets that it uh, gets cross-posted to, like iTunes and Spotify. So, uh, we did a one zombie series. Uh, as it turns out, uh, doing another. <laughs> We're doing ZOM 100 again. That, you know what? <laughs> Wouldn't mind it. It was just a fun manga. Uh, the next series that we are taking as a recommendation is Sankarea by Mitsuru Hattori, uh, which is about a guy who has always had a, an emotional connection to zombie movies. Uh, and when his beloved pet passes away, he decides to resurrect it. But uh, he needs to test it on someone. And a popular girl at school gives him an idea of who to use as a test subject for the resurrection potion. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll discuss that next week then. Although, I might not be discussing it. We might have a special guest next week. Oh. You never know. Around these time, around this time of the year, there's always, there's always a chance someone new might hop in. It's not going to yep. be code because I threw away that costume. 
Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tune in next week to find out what's going on there and uh, for Sankarayag. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye.